Before this train leaves the station, we want to remind you that Not Another Baptist Podcast is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. Yes, folks, we are the official podcast of the Bible, and we encourage you after this episode to pop on over to csbible.com and find a Bible translation that is both readable and accurate, and we believe you will find out exactly why Kyle and I have fallen in love with it ourselves. So, cue the riff, baby! Welcome to the train wreck, folks. It's time for another episode of Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. And today, folks, we have a return victim, and that being Dr. Ken Hemphill. But first, the formalities. I'm Matt Hensley, pastor of Mayhill Baptist. I'm joined by Kyle Bierman of First Baptist Alamogordo. We're both pastoring great churches in southern New Mexico, trying not to drown in the waters of church revitalization. And we're glad that you joined us for our last of the Reclaiming Glory episodes. And today, we're talking specifically about disciple-making. Kyle? Yeah, and uh, so this is the the sixth of six uh, imperatives in, in Mark Clifton's book, Reclaiming Glory, making disciples who make disciples. And it just made sense to bring Dr. Hempel back on because, uh, Dr. Hempel, you've really devoted your life to making disciples. Uh, so, so first of all, tell us how things are going out there on the uh, on, in the Carolinas, and then let's let's dive in and just talk about making disciples and what that looks like in a church revitalization setting. Absolutely. Well, it's a beautiful day outside. Sorry, I can't turn the camera around that day. A uh, <laughs> little chilly here. Uh, we had the rain as well, and now it's cleared off pretty well. I'm. Uh, I, you may not know it, but I'm actually doing an interim at uh, in Springfield, Missouri, every weekend. Mm, so I fly I to Second Baptist Church, and and uh, it it sleeted on me going through Chicago. So I thought I wasn't going to get home, but made it back, and we got gorgeous weather here. So. Well, we we got gorgeous, but we started this morning at eight degrees, and uh, and I I I start my mornings on the porch, and this was one where you know I had you know one cup of coffee, and I kind of gauge it by how long that cup of coffee stays warm anyway, and it was pretty well iced by the time I got out there, so I just went back in and started doing my reading inside because I was like I don't have a death wish, uh, but before we dive into anything, uh, we we want to do a little accountability here, Dr. Hemphill, because the last time that you were on the episode with us, we talked a little bit about some tree frogs, and then we talked a little bit about your painting. And if I recall, you did make a, uh, a promise there that you were going to dig out the paintbrushes and, and everything. So let's, let's just be honest. How are we doing about that? Well, I do know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Since I took this interim in the meantime, and of course, last week, as you will know, I had a D-men that went from eight in the morning to four every afternoon. So I did not dig them out, but I do know that they are here. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're moving in the right direction because well, I'm sure the, the... Third, before the third episode, we may be in line. <laughs> well, and, and I know, but between now and June, you have absolutely nothing on your plate, right? There's nothing <laughs> going on in your life. So you'll be... Yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, well, Kyle, get us started. Yeah. So when it comes to talking about making disciples, who, who then turn around and make disciples, we're given a couple of really clear commands in Scripture. The first one 
of course, is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he, he gives the disciples their marching orders that, that are still valid for us today to go and make disciples of all nations. And then later on in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul kind of lays out a, a map or a format of what that looks like. It, what, I've, what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so there's a, there's a command, there's a pattern to not just make disciples, but, but to train men and women as followers of Christ who can then turn around and train men and women to be followers of Christ, who can train men and women, and you develop a discipleship pattern. Now, in most church revitalization settings, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, one of the reasons that they find themselves in church revitalization is because making disciples has not been a priority. Something, be- something else has, has taken over, whether that's traditions or, or whatever. As, as there are as many reasons for that as there are churches that, that need to be revitalized. So um, talk to us, Dr. Hempel, about the need for church for disciple making and church revitalization and the first steps to get that off the, the ground that you've seen. Well, I think you're absolutely on target that it's essential because disciples are reproducing by their very nature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the imperative in the great commission is the single imperative to make a disciple. Then of course you have the three participles defining how that goes about so first of all, you've got to evangelize somebody before you can disciple them. Then you've got to congregationalize or baptize. And I take that to be congregationalized. In other words, you can't disciple them if you don't have uh, contact with them on a regular basis. Finally, then teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded. So uh, I meet regularly with a group of pastors that I mentor from year to year and sometimes educators as well. So one of the questions I posed to them the other day was this question. If, if you're a disciple-making pastor, if you're a disciple-making educator or church, the question I want to ask is, what does the disciple look like? How, how would you know if you had actually finished the project? Right near us here is the BMW plant, and they'll let you do a tour of it, and they generally will start you kind of at the back door. The reason for that is that if they're building a five series coupe, for example, then as you walk backwards through the plant, every piece that comes off of that line, uh, the assembly line is designed for a five series coupe. So in a sense, once we can say, okay, here's what a disciple looks like, then we can back up in the, in the church and say, okay, here are the pieces we're going to have to have. So since you guys are the bright ones on the podcast today, let me ask you, what, what does a disciple look like? How do you define a disciple? I know that wasn't what you planned when I came on. Well, for, for me, I think the, the answer is in, in some sense of how we set it up in the first place. You know, it's not going to be a matter of, you know, do they uh, look a, a certain way of, of course, whether they're, they're dressing or all of that, uh, but it's, are they now going to be reproducing what they've, what they've learned in the first place. And so if, if I'm leading somebody through the, the gospel and, and they get saved and, and I'm beginning to teach them some of the first areas of those obedient 
uh, things that we're talking about are going to be the baptism. It's going to be telling others about Jesus. You know, I think Dr. Queen uh, at Southwestern shares, if you know enough of the gospel to be saved, you know enough of the gospel to tell somebody else how to. And so that would be my answer, but I also know that I'm an idiot. So I'm going to turn it over to Cal, see what he would say. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Well, so a, d- disciple is, a, a disciple was a follower of Christ, right? I mean, that's in in the early days, Jesus walked up to to guys by the nets on the seashore and said, follow me. And so at at its most basic level, a disciple is simply a follower of Christ. We want to bring somebody into a relationship with Christ and get them to follow him as as close as possible and bring others along as well. I don't know if that really answered that. Can you, can you please tell him that he's wrong and I'm right? (laughs) Well, actually what I've done in uh, working with churches here in revitalization, I said, okay, let's take a very simple definition. In fact, I I had this on good authority because Jesus, when asked about this by a lawyer said that a man uh, would be one who loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, loves his neighbors itself. So I've kind of taken that rather than talking about, you know, does he tithe? Does he do this? Which they're all important. But if you get somebody who truly loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. And of course, Mark adds might, which in his neighbors itself. Now, Jesus added that from Leviticus 19. So what's interesting here is that you get almost all the, quote, five functions of the church in that you get worship small group Bible study, you get uh, the aspects of Bible study, the mind, understanding, so the need to know scripture, etc., cetera, and, and worship praise through the whole concept. So having said that, that's kind of my definition. So that I, I want to turn someone into or allow the Holy Spirit through me to develop people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, their neighbors, their self, which would then involve fellowship and evangelism because, of course, the Good Samaritan story defined neighbor around caring for someone in, in need in that way, which we would take as evangelism. So having started with that definition, I would suggest that if we look at Jesus as the model discipler, which obviously he is, then you have things that you would have both what I call intentional strategy and a spontaneous one. Most churches have an intentional strategy, whatever that is, good or bad. We used to have discipleship training at one time called BTU, Baptist. Well, you guys are not old enough to know BTU, so (laughs) let's skip that. But we had all the various initials that was a program at night that was based around some study guides, whatever that was, the mind of Christ, experiencing God. In other words, we had these tools and it was but in, and there was nothing wrong with those because they obviously taught disciplines like prayer, perhaps stewardship, things of that nature. But oftentimes we didn't pull in the spontaneous. So if you look at Jesus, there were moments when he stopped and taught the disciples. Many times, well, he tells the parable of the soils. And later on, they want to know, what was that all about? And of course, he has to explain it to them. At other times, we see that it's really just a part of being with Jesus. In other words, they would see him heal someone. And of course, a classic case, they're up on the mountain, Mount Transfiguration. How good does it get to get that close to Jesus? So they go back down, try to do the things they've seen him do, miserable failure. 
and, you know, because they can't cast out a little bitty demon there and he's done the other. So he has to explain to them what was wrong, the, the lack of prayer and fasting, etc. So we see this all the time. Disciples try to get rid of the kids. He said, whoa, no, suffer the little kids to come unto me. So one of the things that, that I say to pastors and leaders, you're discipling all the time. So it's not just on Sunday night or Sunday morning or Tuesday night or whenever you schedule a discipleship program or class, uh, people are discipled by your lifestyle and you've got to teach them to do the same. For example, when I went to Galax, Virginia, which was a kind of a mountain community, about 5,000 population, uh, I, I lived on Main Street. I bought one of my deacon's homes. It was an old downtown Main Street home, actually biggest home I ever lived in. I think it was about four and a half, five thousand square feet. Had an Esther Williams swimming pool, believe it or not. About a hundred year old home. But so at any rate, we were on Main Street. So sometimes in the afternoon when I would come home, I would put on my jeans and my boots and I get the stroller out and I'd push my little girl downtown Main Street. Well, you can't believe the impact that had on that community where many times men were not seen in a role of kind of taking care of the kids. It was a little more of a kind of a rough and tumble atmosphere. And, and the, the fact was that that act in itself, as small as it may have seemed, had an impact on that community about what is right, and what is wrong, or what should a man do in relationship to his family. So one of the things I say to the pastors, don't underestimate the spontaneity of going to the hospital with deacons, uh, you know, don't, don't go there alone. You're wasting time. If you do that, making a visit with someone, you know, whatever it is that you do as a minister, you can include people in that. And that's a part of that discipling process. So that's the first thing I say. The second one is don't underestimate the power of the pulpit. Uh, one of the things that I found in first Norfolk, our church grew from about 380 in Sunday school, about 2,200. And a, and a lot of times I was really frustrated that I didn't have a better program of discipleship. And I think a lot of pastors are and a lot of churches think, I, I just don't know that we're doing this as well as we should. And over the years, as I've traveled across our Southern Baptist Convention, I've had the privilege of running into people who were from that church because Navy tends to move them around. So you just kind of you're in another event or preaching somewhere and somebody comes up and say, you may not remember me, but, or sometimes they'll write me a note, particularly since I've allowed my name to be placed uh, for president. A lot of people have seen that on Facebook. They've written me, but one of the interesting things they'll say over and over again is that I grew more during those, those nine years or whatever years I was with you at first Baptist church of Norfolk than any other time in my spiritual life. Now, part of that, I think, and they would say so, was because I tend to be an expository preacher that, that will go through books, and I will also go through kind of spiritual disciplines. I, I did a series on core convictions, major doctrines of the faith. So I preached on the doctrine of hell. I preached on the doctrine of heaven. And so I think a lot of, a lot of pastors underestimate the power of that pulpit to disciple people. It shouldn't be the only place, but it should be a primary place. So that means you've got to think through your preaching. I would take a, a time out every year in January and I would go somewhere alone just with my Bible and 
maybe a few commentaries, and I would take all of the sermons that I'd preached over the last year, the title, the theme, what the major emphasis was, and make sure that my preaching was, was a full orb preaching, that I'm covering most everything. And, and then I would decide next year's series based on where I felt were the needs in the church, whether it was a family need or a, a better Bible study need or whatever, so that I'm looking at, at the church through that lens of thinking, am I producing uh, men and women who love God with their heart, soul, and mind, their neighbors, or self? And if not, how can I do that? So don't neglect the power of the pulpit in the whole discipling process. Um, the, the third thing I would kind of say, then you guys may want to jump in and ask me more specifics that I want to just take up your whole, whole time. The person is more important than the curriculum always. And I think a lot of churches get so hung up looking for the right mm -hmm. curriculum. We just need this. When you ask people who are discipled about that process of discipleship, they rarely remember the process or the curriculum, but they remember the person who discipled them. Yeah. So a lot of times I think we're kind of waiting till we get the exact right tool or set of tools, then we're going to begin it. No, you're already in it. You're either doing it well or you're not doing it very well. So make sure the pulpit has that discipling theme to it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't preach evangelistically. You do because there's there may always, and in almost any text, you can get to Jesus from it, you know, and you want to do that because you don't know who there. But the other thing I found about preaching evangelistic is it help your people know how to explain the gospel? Mm -hmm. You know, so many times people who are sitting in the pews are really clueless about how would I explain this to somebody? So there's no reason not to do that on a regular basis because repetition works really well in that. Most discipling plans are going to have to be customized based on the location of your church and time issues. For example, the Norfolk Church, we had a lot of military. That meant that we couldn't always strategize for them to be there four or five weeks in a row or 10 or 12 or 16. So we had to think differently about how we would do that because sometimes they were on a cruise. And so sometimes we had to build material, whether it was on, I'm going to date myself, cassette, not eight track guys, not, not that bad, but <laughs> whether it was cassette or now a CD-ROM or any of those things that we can put in their hands that they can use. Or I think businessmen today in their car that we've got to think, you know, on, on how do we get these materials to them at a point where they can use them? Not because it is both material curriculum and it is person driven. So we do have to think about what are some good tools that I could use that I can put in their hands. How can I help them in this context? So, a lot of times we might do a discipling weekend, kind of like we've developed the disciple now for youth. Well, adults still respond to things like that. We would, we, we did a lot of our teacher training, which is a discipling thing. Uh, we called it Friday night, uh, Friday night madness. And uh, we would come about seven o'clock and stay till midnight. It was the latest most of our people had stayed up, you know, since they were in a lock-in at junior high. So about nine o'clock, we'd have hot fudge Sundays and coffee to get enough buzz on to make it till midnight. But you'd be surprised how much you can do 
in an uninterrupted period of four or five hours. So think through your people, think through your location and customize it. Even if it's in a six week format, you can do a six week format in one weekend, if that helps. And on, on our end, talking about customizing, you know, I, as you were talking, I realized how awesome our ladies are at this. Uh, we've got ladies that are doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one things and so forth. And, and one of our biggest areas of need is our men. And that kind of ties into our uh, last study on, you know, reaching young men. But how we've customized it for us is we've got a couple of young guys uh, that are uh, ranchers. And uh, they, they came up and asked me, said, you know, Pastor, do you uh, – ride a horse. And, uh, I said, you know, uh, no, <laughs> I have, uh, but it's not something I make a regular, uh, you know, recurring thing of part of my life. But, uh, what we're going to do now is on Mondays, we're going to get together and he's got, uh, you know, a little, uh, I don't even, I'm not a rancher. I'm not a cowboy. So I don't know what these things are called, but basically it's a, a calf that he's going to pull with an ATV. We'll be on the horses and we're going to be roping them and, and learning just horseman skills and all of that kind of stuff. And there's about three or four guys that are going to do this. And then at the end of that night, once we're done, we're going to eat, get by the campfire and I'm going to teach a Bible study and induce it. It won't be one-on-one, -on -one, but one on three or so uh, of guys that are kind of in the same context, you know, young kids and, and all of that to really build that uh, fellowship together and discipling uh, together on their turf, because that's, that's a hard part for pastors is we, we often want people to come to our turf, you know, come, come to the church, come to the the church come to the church but getting out where they're at uh especially when i think we shared when you were on last time how everybody has to drive you know 20 to 30 minutes to get to our church and so if i can go where they're at do something that they enjoy and tie in the disciple making then i feel like it's a it's a win-win and, and I like go ahead i was just saying it's a great concept well, and, and I was just you hear that, what, Kyle? Yes. You, yes. It was great. Say I, that I, one more I, time, I Dr. Hemphill. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, before so Kyle I, gets on it, before Kyle gets on, I got to tell you, I rode a horse once. <laughs> <laughs> once is the directive word. My wife was big into horses. She had three at one time. So she wanted me to go on a trail ride with her. You know, I want to do something with my wife. This has nothing to do with church growth. So just bear with me here a second. So, <laughs> So this trail ride the first day was eight hours. <laughs> With someone who had not ridden a horse, except maybe 30 minutes at the fair, someone where they let them run in circles. So on the way back in, the, the horse realized that it's, I didn't know what I was doing and it was time for him to get me off. So he gallops all the way to the plane. And if you ever sat on a horse for eight hours, I am telling you every bone in my body and particularly ones I sat on so the next morning they were going for another ride. So I missed my discipling chance because I was sitting on three pillows just to eat breakfast. So I, I so I suggest you break it in slowly if you would. Yeah, right, we'll, back to you. We'll we'll begin. Yeah, Kyle, try I, try to do something. Yeah, I, I I don't have a horse story. Um, I so. I, He's a cowboy fan. That's close I'm, enough. I'm trying to think. Well, ha, ha, ha. I, I was trying to think what I was going to say. I, I think. So you talk about meeting people on their own turf. One right. of the things I've learned too is meeting meeting guys on their own time. Yeah, and it goes back to the same thing. You know, we try to work people into our schedule so often. And uh, Dr. Hempel, much like you at Norfolk, this is a Alamogordo is a military community. We have right. an Air Force base here, and uh, so I mean, I've I've done breakfast with guys at four o'clock in the morning. 
because that's when they get, I mean, Matt's up and, and running. I'm usually not at that point. So, uh, but you know, whenever, and that's what I've told guys, I said, man, I'll, whatever your schedule is for that week, I, we have the luxury of being full-time pastors. So for some guys, maybe who are listening or in bivocational settings, this could be a little bit more difficult if you still have to get up and go to do a real job throughout the week. But, um, you know, for us, like, I mean, I'll get up and I'll do breakfast with somebody whenever, and then I can go back home and sleep for a couple of hours because I've already put in a little bit of work. But that's been something that, that's really helped me understand is, you know, I'm, I can tailor my schedule to do yep. one-on-one discipleship whenever somebody's available. So I, I was telling you earlier, you know, we met with a guy yesterday, mid, middle of the afternoon. I, I'm meeting a guy for lunch tomorrow. So it's just, it, but it's making that concerted effort to get in their lives and well, not just saying, you know, you come to come to church and the only time we do discipleships Wednesday night or Sunday morning. No, you. And, and I think this this is on the pastors to, to kickstart it, because if we're going to ask anything of our people, I think we've got to be leading that and say, man, find somebody, find a guy and s- start meeting with him as regularly as possible. And whether that's just you sit down and, and go through a book of the Bible or if you have a discipleship curriculum, whatever, right. you start pouring into him and see if that doesn't start a fire in, in your church of discipleship, which will then lead to revitalization. Well, and, and I, you talked about a curriculum there. Uh, a few years ago, I was teaching discipleship at Southern Seminary as a kind of visiting professor there. So I kind of set an assignment for my, for my class because I developed a program or a, a process called SPLASH for leading people to Christ stands for show people love and share him. Those it becomes an acrostic to it. And so it's kind of a friendship confrontational evangelism strategy. Well, out of that, I, I developed splash too. I, I'm creative with these titles, <laughs> but it stands for scripture, prayer, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, accountability, stewardship in your heart, which is your mission. The book was actually designed for me leading somebody to Christ and then talking them through the discipling process, not to study with somebody. So it would be a good thing for what you're talking about with mentoring. But uh, I want to go on and, and to pick up another thing here. So you're talking, and we're talking about discipleship being both intentional and spontaneous. And a part of it, obviously, has still got to be that mentoring. That's kind of the spontaneous. But then to do that, you've got to multiply it. Because you can't, as pastor, mentor everybody in your church. You know, even if your wife helps mentor the women, you still, it's too big. And as the church, as they become disciples and reach others. So you've got to get a way of duplicating yourself, of being able to release some of those people who have been mentored into the process of mentoring others. Now, let me, let me give you one idea Particularly, I'm going to do it for a Sunday school church first, and then one that says, no, we're into small groups. I tell people, if Southern Baptists didn't have a theological argument, they'd get into a methodological one just to have an (laughs) argument going. And I tell people that Sunday school is a small group meeting in your building at a traditional hour. Small group is a Sunday school class meeting outside your building, non-traditional hour. If they're done effectively, they, they can, they can, they're, both pretty much principles are the same. Now, uh, one of the problems that we're facing, though, that's why discipleship has been such an issue, is very few churches have the luxury of getting people back two or three different times a week. And so the question is, how do, how do we do this? 
in, in the limited context of the hour and a half, two hours, three hours they're going to make available if we want them also having some sort of ministry role. So let me show you one way you can actually tie it to kind of the Bible study small groups. Most churches have a, a I would call traditional Sunday school or a small group that's a Bible study oriented. You're going through a quarterly, you're going through a book of the Bible, whatever it is. Now, one of the things that we did is that we, we turned this into what we called a great commission group so that our, our goal was to make disciples, but we had a going outreach leader for each group. We had a teacher for each group. And then for baptism, an assimilation leader, we called a care leader. So in all of our groups, we had, we used deacons as the primary care minister for each group. And under that deacon, there were up to four care leaders. And those four care leaders could have up to four persons or four couples. So in a couples group, there would be eight people there. Now, what you can do is you cannot do the discipling through the Sunday school because there's not enough time. Particularly if it's Sunday morning, you've got that 45 minutes or an hour, but the time they drink the coffee and discuss who lost recent ball games, et cetera, and you get to study, you know, your time is, is limited there, and then you've got to go on the worship service or whichever the case may be if you're in flip-flops. But you can do it through the Sunday school. So if you disciple the care leaders and then as new Christians are formed, link them to that care leader so that a care leader is never more than four persons away. So one person can disciple three or four. So that's a way you can actually organize your small groups so you don't have to come up with multiple organizations, particularly if your Sunday school or your small groups are pretty much age graded, which goes with homogeneity and receptivity. That allows you to have people meeting together, whether they do it in their home or at a restaurant or anywhere else for this. So that's a, that's a unique way of trying to pull those two together so you don't run five different organizations. Yeah. Go ahead. I thought oh, you were no, going to say no. something. I'm, so, I'm soaking in, man. I thought so. I looked like he was oh. having a brilliant thought there. Yeah, well, I can I can <laughs> no. assure you it's not uh, that. No, that's uh, definitely not I, I think what, one of the things I learned today is, if you'll notice, Dr. Hemphill spoke on the importance of the pulpit. Yep. And you'll notice that he did not say the table. That's right. So Kyle, Kyle preaches from this little bitty table because he's so cool. He's up there yeah, in probably shorts and flip flops no, or something. Really not uh, but uh, and I'm also glad that in our first uh, question, you're asking, "What does a disciple look like?" Uh, I'm glad you didn't say like clean shaven because I feel like I'm still safe on on that one. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, but most of the early disciples may have had a full beard like yours since they have a Jewish heritage, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm sure it was bright red like mine as well, but uh, we're, we're out of time, Dr. Hemphill. We're so grateful that you yes. set, uh, sat down with us again. And, and we thank you for listening. Now there's a number of other things you could be doing, but you decided to listen to this dumpster fire. We hope it was somewhat helpful today, brought you some encouragement. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast feed you use and visit us online at www 
www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Facebook under our name or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Oh, come on. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hemphill, and thank you for listening. Have a great day.